what's up, what's up? Welcome to the One Inch Barrier. I am your host, Juan Carlos Ohano. I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy and staying at home. And a quick reminder that the Patreon page is, yes, it's going. <laughs> and the third bonus episode is going to premiere this Sunday. So be sure to check that out. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... For this episode, we're going to talk about the film that won Best Foreign Language Film at the 57th Academy Awards. That film is Dangerous Moves, or in its original language, Le Diagonal de Fou, which translates to The Fool's Diagonal, written and directed by Richard Dembo. So this was Switzerland's first win and fourth nomination. So for a quick recap, this film is about um, the World Chess Championship, where two men are going to face off. One is the grandmaster, uh, 52-year-old uh, man from Soviet Union. And the other one is a younger uh, man who defected from Soviet Union, went to the West several years earlier. Um, and they're going to face off in the World Chess Championship. So that's dangerous moves. <laughs> that's not a very good summary. <laughs> so our guest for this episode is from Italy he is a literature and history teacher and he's also a film and TV critic for the Italian website movie player please welcome Stefano Loverme hello hi hello Juan thanks yeah it's so great to finally uh, record this we've been talking for a few weeks now and um, yeah I'm just excited to finally talk about this year for um, the most surprising of reasons. But anyway, I'm going to tell more of that later. So before we continue, can, can you tell our listeners where can they find you on the internet? Oh, um, well, I'm writing on uh, a website about movies and TV, an Italian website, uh, movieplayer.it. Uh, uh, so if you read Italian, <laughs> if you speak Italian, you can uh, read several uh, articles on this website and i've got also a youtube channel but it's not about movies it's about uh, uh, lessons for my students and so especially history uh, lessons little history essays and uh, that's that and uh, social media but uh, uh, i'm not so active on twitter uh, i use twitter uh, especially to to read uh, <laughs> read posts uh, from people like you from international cinephiles <laughs> oh, i think the first time i saw you was when i think when i posted the the when my article about glenn close and hillbilly elegy was released i think oh, that's the first time we yeah. had an interaction yeah and i'm like okay. yeah it was a great article yeah thank you <laughs> yeah big uh, i'm a big 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 uh, glenn close fan fan so yeah and i'm a, uh, i'm a, a historic reader of uh, the film experience so uh, i think uh, uh, I'm a fan of uh, uh, the film experience uh, uh, from at least 15 years. Um, I think uh, really uh, it's been one of my reading pleasures uh, from uh, over a decade. Yeah, me too. And I also am a big film experience fan. I've been reading it for like almost 13 years now. And it's just um, so humbling when I just started to write there because it, I am a huge fan of the film experience. Hi, Nathaniel. All right, so... Woo. And you you wrote a, a wonderful article about Call Me By Your Name recently. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, it was great. A great reading. I mean, I was kind of scared to describe, you know, the the 
the sensory experience of Italy because I've never been there. So I'm just basing on the film. But it's like, I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, well, I'm going to go to Italy one day and eat my peach one day. <laughs> but we all, we have peach, peaches, peaches, I don't know the plural, uh, just in the summer, only in the summer. So if uh, people come in Italy uh, in the winter, uh, <laughs> think about uh, eating peaches uh, or doing other things with the peaches. We don't have peaches. Uh, uh, it's a seasonal fruit. I'm going to go in summer. I'm going to be good. All right, so um, this film that we have today, I when we had our first conversations, I uh, I found out that you're also um, following this category quite closely, and Dangerous Moves is one of the one of the few winners from this decade that you still haven't seen. Yeah. Um, so now that you've seen it, I want to start first impressions. Let's do this. Um, okay. What do you think of Dangerous Moves? Okay. I think it's uh, an entertaining movie. Uh, it's quite accessible. Uh, I don't know if you agree. Um, it's also a movie that I think uh, uh, an international audience could um, easily appreciate because uh, uh, it's not too specific uh, about uh, a country's culture or um, a country's tradition. It's, it's about the Cold War uh, because, uh, as you say, it's, uh, there is this chess duel, uh, but uh, there, are, uh, there is a political background. Uh, uh, that's the context of the last decade of the Cold War. And so even uh, if a uh, uh, viewer is not, it's not so, uh, so expert about Cold War, uh, etc., I think it's, uh, it's quite easy to, to follow the, uh, the story and the context. Uh, I don't know if you agree about it. Uh, hmm. Okay. Uh... Um, I don't know if you want to know my my personal impression. I think it's a, a very good movie, uh, but not uh, one of the great winners of the category. Uh, I don't think uh, it deserves a place uh, in the canon of the greatest uh, best foreign language uh, winners. Uh, I don't know. Do you agree about it? Uh, or We'll talk about it more when we discuss the nominees. Because, okay. yeah, I think this... Anyway. No, apart from the nominees, uh, I mean, also as a, a single movie, uh, without considering the other nominees, uh, I think it's a good movie, but uh, should I mm, make a, a chart of, the, of my favorite uh, or the best, uh, trying to, uh, to decide the best uh, winners from... Uh, uh, Oscar history in this category, I don't think it would place so higher. So high. I don't know if uh, if you agree. Or, I, th I think Dangerous Moves is a very... No, let's start first with my initial thoughts. I think it's good. Sometimes it's very good. Uh, it's surprising that it won in the context of winners because this was very low-key. Uh, filmmaking, it's the filmmaking in it is very uh, functional. Yeah, you know, there's yeah, it's not um, RT. Uh, yeah, there's there's no. nothing that stands out with it. Mm -hmm. uh, the story, when you think about it, you know, probably in the eighties it resonated more because you know they're in the middle of Cold War. But yeah, thinking about how it depicted Cold War, it's an interesting take on Cold War because it is showing another aspect of it um 
but hmm. Well, if you think uh, in that decade, in the 80s, uh, uh, several winners uh, um, were not so um, showy on a mm. um, directional side. Uh, I don't know if, uh, if I'm clear. Um, they were not um, real arty movies. Uh, uh, also, the official history from uh, uh, the winner from 85. Uh, uh, they are movies with a strong political context, uh, with a strong narrative, uh, but with no big directors attached to them. Uh, so I think many Academy members uh, um, give more importance to the story, the, uh, how much uh, they are emotionally involved with the characters more than, I don't know, if you, if you are at a festival, a film festival, there are other aspects that uh, are quite stronger also uh, if we talk about the words and uh, stuff like that, uh, while... Uh... Yeah, it's hard to imagine for me, like, what made this stand out because, you know, with a 2021, 2021, we're already in 2021, recording this already in February on my time, so like, oh, February 1, uh, <laughs> I just said a date. Um, it, 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 it kind of baffles me um, because it, really is kind of a middle of the road film there's nothing that stands out with it it's it's good you know and it's it's quite short um one hour 40 so it's not a bothersome watch and it's probably like um and yeah that's why uh it um it works on a big audience uh, i think uh, the fact it's not so um it's an easy sell. It's an easy viewing. Uh, it's not too long, as you said. Um, it also has uh, um, familiar faces from international cinema because you have Michel Piccoli, who's one of the colleagues. Uh, you have Lee Woolman, who shows up uh, late in the film. But I, I mean, they are two great actors, uh, uh, Lee Woolman especially. Uh, is uh, an international uh, superstar, so especially in the 80s. So I think these are um, factors that have a, a big appeal to, to an Academy uh, audience. Yeah, and also um, Academy Award nominee Leslie Caron, who is in a very quiet role <laughs> as the wife of um, Akiva Lipskind, the, the Grandmaster. Um, yeah, let's speak it on. I didn't remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not surprising it's, that you um, didn't remember. No, sorry, my fault. No, because no, 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 it's, no. Uh, it's not. Um, it's really a not that memorable role. Which yeah, that just like that. It's uh, the female roles are quite weak. I think yeah. uh, uh, it's one of the things I wanted to talk about with you. Um, Leslie Caron's role, uh, it's, the, it's your typical supporting wife role. Uh, it's uh, the, the supporting wife of Michel Piccoli's character, and uh, she doesn't have so much to do. And Lee Woolman has a quite a strange role. I don't know if uh, you agree with me. And I'm going to say something that, that's quite terrible. Uh, I want to say I adore Lee Woolman. I think she's one of the very greatest actresses uh, uh, who ever lived. She's wonderful. But I think uh, she's uh, a little miscast in this role. 
I don't know if uh, let's you discuss agree. that. Why do you think she's a miscast in this role? Because uh, I I haven't I have seen the film and I can't figure um, Lee Woolman and uh, Alexandra Bat. I don't know if I pronounce it well uh, as a couple, as a married couple. Um, it's not just the age gap. Uh, because uh, he's much younger than um, uh, Lee Woolman. Fabius is the lead role, is this young uh, chess player, and Marina is uh, uh, his wife. Uh, but it's not just an age gap problem, because uh, you have a lot of great couples uh, with uh, an age gap. I think, uh, I don't know if you agree with me, uh, if you see his character and their character, and um, there's a sense of anticipation about their reunion uh, because uh, it happens uh, later in the film. Uh, and when it happens, uh, uh, you don't quite understand uh, the character of Lee Woolman because she's um, maybe probably uh, mentally unstable and you don't get the kind of relationship these two characters have uh, or um, had uh, in the past, uh, you don't get uh, uh, the passion between these two characters or other things. Uh, I don't know, in, watching the last part was a bit uh, um, complicated because uh, I, I didn't buy them as a couple. I don't know if, uh, what, what do you think about this, uh, this part of the film? All right, uh, I am gonna confess something. I hope it doesn't sound bad. It will sound bad. Um, when I first saw Liv Ullman come in, I remember, I, I mean, uh, we know that uh, Pavius is um, left his wife. But when Liv Ullman came in, I thought, oh, they're gonna blackmail him. That's why they brought her. I thought she was the mother. <laughs> because there's a big age gap. And, yeah. uh, and I don't mind age gaps. It's just that and <laughs> when you just see them together, like, I, I, I understand what you said. It, there's really no chemistry there. I mean, yeah, age gaps it's can a chemistry be permissible. Problem. Yeah, it's <laughs> not the age gap. It's the chemistry problem. Um, <laughs> and their dynamic when they're already together is kind of weird. And... I mean, and it's yeah. uh, it's quite strange because we're talking about Lee Woolman, who, uh, as uh, I said, it's she's wonderful. She can play any role. She uh, she's really one of the greatest. Uh, she also can play a, uh, a, lo a ro the role of a lover or a passionate wife. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, characters from Lee Woolman uh, that inspire passion or uh, uh, love or tragedy. Uh, you know what I mean, and. In this role, she uh, she seems like from she's coming from another movie. Uh, it's also it, I think it it's not just Lee Woman. I think it's uh, um, also a, a matter of the script um, because this part of the movie it should be a turning point in the narrative. And no, it's not like that. It's uh, not so uh, decisive for the uh, the narrative. In, kind of uh, i don't know it's uh, it's a weak uh, uh, part of this movie um it doesn't justify what happens next uh, it's not so related to uh, the duel the rivalry between the two leads uh, uh, i don't know uh, 
I think Liv tries to do her best in a yeah. muddy role. Mm-hmm. I think that role isn't well defined. What was I mean? Initially, she was brought there to distract, but um, I don't know what she, her character went to different directions after that, and it's not yes. I mean, Yeah, it's the problem of how they they wrote the character because yeah. uh, it's not quite clear uh, what's his narrative role. Uh, what, why is uh, this character in, a, in the picture? Uh, I mean, it as you said, uh, it seems clear at first because uh, um, the the Russians uh, uh, are gonna use her to um, destabilize. Destabilize uh, um, the Pavius. Uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, Pavius. Sorry, Pavius. And then uh, something else happens. Uh, they uh, have this strange conversation. Uh, you don't quite get uh, what um, the relationship was uh, uh, exactly. And this subplot uh, doesn't come anywhere. I think uh, it, uh, it goes nowhere. And then. Something else happens. I don't want to spoil to to our audience. Spoil, but, uh, spoil. No, no. <laughs> then we we go to we come we come back to Michelle Piccoli's character and the ending. It's not about the Gulman's character. It's not about the relationship between uh, Pavius and Marina. It's uh, about something else completely. So uh, I don't know. It's uh, like a parenthesis that couldn't have been here and. It would have been probably a better film. Yeah, I think it's just a matter. I think, well, you know, with Liv Ullman kind of doing good with that role, um, I I think it's a matter of setting up that character even better, clarifying mm-hmm. her position in the story, and yeah, um, just having chemistry. I think I think a lot of things in movies that we've seen from the past. You know, there are some things that don't make sense like in real life, but it's it's sold by the chemistry. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. this one, it, right. just, it really needed that. And um, mm-hmm. which is such a waste because when you see an actress, I think this is an uh, the, the character actually um, shows a little bit of like trauma and she knows that she is another pawn yeah. in this bigger <laughs> game of I... chess. You know, it's not just the championships. It's, The characters yeah. are pawns seems, in this game. Yeah, she seems like she's coming from an Ingmar Bergman movie and uh, it doesn't quite uh, uh, match with uh, the movie we're seeing. It doesn't quite match with Dangerous Moves uh, because uh, it's not a Bergman-esque uh, picture. It's, and she uh, was intense. Yeah, she's a, she was, uh, she's always great. Uh, uh, I'm not saying that she uh, she's she doesn't act well because that's not the problem she she's a wonderful actress it's just like to say it's the the character is not clear and it's not really well written and we don't know what to do with her essentially i think it is a problem you know sometimes you know you can look at it one way where live omen doesn't match the film mm-hmm. but you know what after our discussion i think the film could have been better If everyone mm-hmm. around the film and even the filmmaking actually matched Liv Ullman, it would yeah. have been a more exciting <laughs> film than this one. Because I want to go back to what you said a while ago about this film being an easy sell. I actually don't know because the film is very quiet, very mm-hmm. restrained, emotionally well, also... holding back. 
Yeah, but but it's also uh, a sort of thriller, uh, if you know what I mean. It's about uh, do it, oh, okay. I get it. It's, it's <laughs> not so much suspense. It's not Hitchcock, but um, the whole movie, almost the whole movie, is about uh, um, this chess uh, duel, this chess uh, game, and uh, you see um, these tricks they use to uh, to confound the. The adversary and yeah, it's not gripping, okay. But uh, it's a film that um, I can, I think, uh, uh, it can easily be followed by uh, any uh, viewer. Um, it doesn't require uh, so much uh, yeah. from the viewer. It's uh, also quite linear. But it also doesn't have the huge emotional peaks. No. No, just maybe the end. But uh, it's not. Uh, yeah, it's not your typical Oscar win. Yeah, right. Uh, but it also um, is um, a movie that can work uh, quite well with uh, a large audience. I think uh, it's not divisive. Yeah. Do you agree? It mm -hmm. is not divisive. It is even mm -hmm. if you think that well, it's it's good, not great. I don't, mm -hmm. and you know, it kind of went with the negative aspect of it immediately with like the, the female characters. I, when you watch it, there is there aren't really a lot of mistakes or like bad things. Mm -hmm. Like there are yeah. some could have been better aspect of yeah. it. But when you think about it, like mm -hmm. when you watch it, it's like, hmm, okay, huh? Yeah, you know, you're, yeah, you're just was my reaction. Yeah. I wasn't bored. Um, yeah. Sometimes uh, Me too, even I'm bored. good films can be boring uh, some part of them at least uh, uh, and that's not a problem of dangerous moves because uh, uh, it can easily be followed and uh, um, each scene uh, um, it uh, after a few scenes do you, uh, we have a, um, a moment when they are dueling uh, with this chess play so uh, you're entertained yeah uh, I think this is one of the reasons uh, uh, why it uh, well it conquered the academy attention, and the other one being I think uh, the weak uh, competition from the beer. We I think we're gonna talk about it later, later. but it was lucky to to compete in '84 because uh, it, it was not a quite strong year in that category. <laughs> well. Um... One thing, I think that quietness can, you know, when we talk about like audience or like its reception to people, uh, from people, I guess, um, that could be like a downside. But actually, I think that quietness kind of goes back to the whole film, not just being about a chess game, but the film being a chess game. It's quiet, it's calculating, characters are moving with intention, someone comes in and it's manipulation and distraction, and that's the entire plot, and the film commits to that. I mean, there is a when you said yeah, that you know, film should have been a thriller, yeah. there's a version of this film that I could see have could have been turned into a like full blown thriller, but mm -hmm. this film um, focuses game. on the uh -huh. small tensions in the game mm -hmm. and outside of the game. Yeah. It's very quiet with very minimal music. Um, mm -hmm. You know, at least it's coherent and consistent, you know, with 
the film being about mm-hmm. chess, it can the film was, can also be a chess. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was thinking about this uh, this thing uh, a few months ago uh-huh. uh, when I don't know if you if you watch it uh, when um, there was this big uh, tension uh, about uh, the Queen's Gambit. The Netflix I series. haven't seen uh, the Queen's okay. Gambit. No, but... don't worry, don't worry. Uh, anyway, it's all uh, it's, it's also about the chess game, obviously. And uh, I watched it, I liked it, not loved it. Uh, and I thought uh, that chess game is quite uh, uneasy, it's quite difficult to bring to the screen uh, because, uh, as you say, it, it's, um, it's a game uh, very, that's very contemplative, uh, that's very meditative. Uh, it's slow, it must be slow. Uh, you know what I mean, and you have to study uh, each uh, piece, uh, and so it's difficult to to bring it to the screen. Uh, also, I, I think it was one of the problems of the Queen's Gambit that mm, they have uh, a lot of uh, uh, of games uh, with the main characters, but often you don't see uh, the the pieces. You don't. You can follow as a viewer. You can follow the game. So okay, you see who wins, who lost, uh, but you're not so involved because you can see uh, the the whole game. Mm, I don't know if I'm if I've been clear enough. And uh, this thing, dangerous moves, uh, in part has the the same kind of problem. Uh, chess game is not a cinematic game. Um, it's not quite cinematic, okay, in uh, its development. At the same time, as you said, in, the film chooses to um, to be similar to a chess game, so it has uh, a rhythm uh, and um, a narrative that uh, remembers the uh, chess play. I think it could have even pushed the theme of chess on a stylistic level. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, the, the the film is very visually functional. You know, it's not... Mm-hmm. Nothing really stands out. And um, sometimes restraint could be a standout. Um, the same way that I... I don't know what you feel about Spotlight. I really defend that film because I think the restraint was the right way to go in the mm-hmm. filmmaking yeah. of Spotlight. And yeah, you see how intentional is the restraint. With yeah. Dangerous also moves, the report, yeah. Uh, yeah. Also the report, I was thinking about the Spotlight, the report, uh, have you seen it? Uh, I know, I have mo- Oh, wow. it's very, very, very good. You have to. Yeah, so, I, anyway, and Adam the same Driver. Thing. Yeah. yeah, and they're both great. They're always great and they are great in the report. Yeah, okay. with Sorry. dangerous moves, that's okay. I think it could be pushed even further, the visual style, because um, I will disagree with what you said about chess not being cinematic. I think I think it could be cinematic. I think yeah, everything could be cinematic. It's just in the matter of how it was visualized. And yeah. uh, with dangerous moves, I just don't think the filmmaker did, went there. And I don't know if it's because this is Richard Dembo's feature film debut. It, yeah, it was his it debut. Is. Um, he only made three movies. Uh, yeah, and then he career. passed away in the 2000s mm-hmm. for like mm-hmm. or an organ problem. Um, rest his soul. Uh, but with what, it's, with, with what it is, I think the film 
creates tension. It doesn't force tension. I think it's very organic, you know. Um, and once in a while, actually, the, it explodes and the characters explode, the tension explodes. Yeah. And it really works very well. I mean, it's still yeah. not great, but it works It's very well. good. It yeah. works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When the characters finally have, like, I'm, I'm filing a protest. I, I, I'm sick of this. Like, and, and it feels realistic because the how the film's rhythm of, like, all right, quietness, but then there's already an unrest with the characters because they're... And then the next scene is still quiet, but it's more deliberate. And then until yeah. it explodes, it is... Um, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think that's a yeah. that's a good praise for it. it the, the 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 way the film the film's pacing and the way it flows makes sense, even though it's not the most distinctive or memorable thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, as you say, the, it doesn't have any uh, big problem uh, apart from Lee Woodman's character, but uh, it uh, it works. Uh, it's almost never really great. But it works uh, uh, through almost the whole uh, movie. Have you ever encountered those problems where, like, uh, because I think the character of Liv Ullman has some problems in the context of the film, but I think she gives the best performance in that film. So, have you ever encountered any of those problems? Yeah. (laughs) And there is one thing I don't know if uh, if you thought about it when watching the movie. Um, this movie competed obviously in the '84 Academy Award uh, edition, and uh, I I thought when I saw Dangerous Moves, uh, uh, I thought about Amadeus because Amadeus was obviously the huge winner from uh, that Oscar edition. It's also, I don't know if you agree, but um, to me, uh, I think it's one of the most deserving Best Picture winners uh, of all time. Uh, I, I love Amadeus. And I think it's uh, quite ironic because there are uh, several similarities uh, between these two movies because uh, uh, both are about the, the rivalry between um, an older and uh, prestigious uh, master uh, in uh, his discipline, uh, one is Antonio Salieri and uh, the other one is uh, Michel Piccoli, I don't remember the character's name, is uh, Akiva Lipskin, uh, if I pronounce it well, and clashing against a younger, much younger um, and more talented competitor uh, who's uh, um, something like, uh, well, not quite crazy, but it's uh, quite uh, rebellious, okay? Uh, both uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, obviously, uh, and uh, this uh, Pavius from uh, are uh, not, uh, um, they, are, um, they are very, uh, I don't know, the word escaped me. Um, they're very dynamic, they're very rebellious, uh, they're over the top sometimes. Uh, and, and you have this rivalry when you know that the, the master, the older and most prestigious, more prestigious uh, uh, competitor is also the, the less talented one or the one who's uh, facing his own, uh, um, not necessarily mediocrity, but uh, uh, they're facing their weakness against uh, yeah. this younger uh, pair to their discipline. Interestingly, I have seen Amadeus when I was in high school 
I think it's maybe like 14, 15 years old. I'm already 25 and I haven't rewatched the film yet. Oh, um, never. I can I, I kind remember. It makes sense. The similarities make sense. Uh, the parallelisms yeah. probably. Um, mm-hmm. With the, the old and the new. Um, what do you think of that? Because um, it's not even the, the layer. I think um, the film, cinematically speaking, because... Even the outbursts in the film are still very composed because okay. uh, they're still very. Controlled. I suppose you're talking yeah. about uh, dangerous moves, not Amadeus. Yes. That it's not moves. quite controlled. But I'm, gonna, but I'm gonna go to Amadeus. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's still very controlled. So cinematically speaking, it's not the most exciting, but it really makes sense in the world of the film. Mm-hmm. The yes. layer, I think, what splinters Amadeus from dangerous moves is with Amadeus the highlight is the age gap and the difference in their um, talent. Um, with this one, it's not so much about the talent, but how these two represent dueling ideologies. You have here Libskin, the old guy, who is very much a Soviet kind of guy, a representative of the Soviet Union. And then Pavius, who is this young, rebellious, like um, playing by the rules, but still being naughty, but actually broke Soviet laws and uh, defected. And it's it's already a layer of age and skill and then politics, which makes even the quietest, simplest of chess games, oh, there's something going on underneath, like um, yes. beyond uh, the chess I, games. I would have liked uh, so much more if they would have developed more uh, the political aspects of the story, uh, as you said, because it's quite interesting, uh, but it remains on the surface, uh, quite on the surface. We know that uh, Pavius defected from uh, United Soviet Union, um, but that's that. Um, we don't know anything about uh, his ideology or uh, uh, even his background is quite uh, uh, uncertain. Uh, we know about this wife, but it's just a uh, little information. And also Michel Piccoli's character, Akiva. Um, okay, you see he's faithful to the regime, he's faithful to the, uh, the Soviet Union, uh, but it's not one of the main aspects of the character. Uh, yeah, he's older, he's, uh, uh, he's not rebellious at all, he's uh, um, more uh, uh, bourgeois, can say it. And that's that. Uh, the political aspect is quite uh, uh, superficial, quite uh, uh, undeveloped. Um, and the part of the fact that I think uh, it's, uh, it was an easy sell in the 80s, uh, it's that, um, okay, you see this hero, this lead character, who's young, who's rebellious, uh, who's an anti-Soviet, uh, who opposed to uh, his own country for ideological reasons that are not completely clear and from an uh, international point of view and especially from an American point of view I think uh, it's uh, uh, it was uh, a satisfying vision because uh, uh, in this film uh, the Soviet Union side the Soviet side uh, is seen like something that uh, um, well I won't say evil like uh, Ronald Reagan said, but uh, uh, it's seen as the antagonist, okay? The, the big uh, system uh, uh, that um, tries to 
uh, oppress the characters. Uh, do you know what I mean? Uh, do you agree about this uh, part? I'll try to break it down. Um, I agree with what you said a while ago. I think, you know, with regards to um, Libskind, not really as as vocal probably because he also I, I don't know if he also has um doubts because he he has a heart problem and he couldn't he could not bring his uh, doctor, yeah. cardiologist because he was not granted a, a exit visa and that's another mm-hmm. subplot right there because the cardiologist uh, asks for political asylum in the end um mm-hmm. i think the clash would have been stronger if Liebskind was a more politically pro-Soviet guy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a missed opportunity with characterization mm-hmm. because, like you said, I think it goes to, like, it wants to discuss, it wants to use um, Cold War as a background of the story, but it's not... I think the film gets chess right. I don't think the film gets Cold War that vividly because i think yeah. when, you, when you mentioned i think in one of our chats like it's about cold war and when i was watching it where is it i mean i could not <laughs> find the cold war and also michelle piccoli is not just uh, michelle piccoli and leslie caron uh, are not your typical russian guys <laughs> i don't know how to say it but um, I don't know. I I see Michel Piccoli as uh, the the French a French symbol, a French icon. So I I can see him completely as a, a sort of Soviet uh, uh, character. Yeah, and the 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 threat of the so the Soviet loyalty, you know, to mm-hmm. Pavius to Henya, it's not as clear as well. Mm-hmm. That's why the tension for Pavius and the I mean. The only time, the only time, the only time I remember feeling kind of threatened by the Soviet presence is when mm-hmm. Marina comes in and she's threatened mm-hmm. by um, one of the people from Liebs- Liebskin's team to like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can't you know, escape and suicide is not an option. That's the only time I really felt the, the push and pull of the... I've been saying push and pull in this season a lot of times. I've been this um, tension, political tension. I think how it used, like I said, how it used Cold War as a background is very... um, You know, I'm fine with it being only hinted. I don't think it's even hinted. Mm -hmm. It's more like a surface level. Just make it interesting. Yeah, I agree totally. Um, This film could have worked almost as well without the Cold War as a background, if you think about it. Uh, I mean, uh, this character, um, Pavius, could have had some other kind of problems, uh, some other kind of backgrounds, and the story uh, would have been basically the same. Uh, It's not so... uh, so vital, the the Cold War element, the historical element. It is, and... Um, I also don't think the char- the main characters Lipskin and Fromm are that uh, well written. I mean, again, they're fine. It's not the most vivid characterization or in- or engaging even. But again, the film this way, you know, because the- I think these characters can have they had a journey, and it's 
it's engaging enough for you to care for like one hour, 40 minutes, but it's not vivid. It's not, mm-hmm. you don't have an intense emotional attachment to it. It's, and it's not because of the emotions that you see on screen. I think it's mm-hmm. just because of how these characters are depicted and there's not really a lot of, I don't know, I didn't feel any strong investment to any of the characters. Yeah, I think also it's because Pavius from the um, rebellious guy is not such a sympathetic or memorable character from the beginning. Uh, it's um, even maybe unsympathetic when we first see him uh, on screen. Uh, he's uh, very uh, self-centered. I don't know. Um, you don't feel this big connection, this emotional connection to uh, connection, sorry, to the lead character. Uh, at least that's uh, how I felt watching the movie. It was more detached as yeah. a vision. My mom hated Pavius when she was watching. Like, he's an <laughs> yeah, asshole. he's not so sympathetic. That's what I, I said. Why is he always late? He's, uh, I hate him. And I'm like, you know, he's, yeah, he, he's not Mozart. He's not uh, Tom Woods' Mozart, who's uh, adorable, who's uh, yeah. uh, charismatic. Uh, this guy is okay. He's talented, uh, but uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's why uh, kind of to uh, summarize that thing with the Cold War um, I've said it with the official story episode where I think it is very effective in like um, embodying the the personal is the political it's very effective in doing that with dangerous moves um as much as in as much as the title says dangerous, uh, I think it's a very, it's a comfortable experience. It feels safe, and uh, I don't think it is that successful in embodying the personal is the political. I don't know if it's because of like uh, half baked attempts of the script script of of the screenplay to capture that, or it just doesn't go there. Which is a shame because I think this would have we would have had more emotional investment mm-hmm. if we saw on a deeper level the repercussions of the cold yes. war. Yeah, just that, just like that. Uh, while um, we are told that um, the main character uh, did suffer uh, some repercussions, but we don't feel them. Uh, it's just uh, background informations. And the, just that. Yeah. And even like Pavis's problem with like um his wife being away from him or like okay, being divorced probably. Like I, and hearing that uh, she wants a divorce and then actually she doesn't want a divorce according to Marina, her uh, his wife. It doesn't amount to anything. Even when he when he attacks one of the people in the team, like mm-hmm. I give up, and then he punches the person in the team. I mean, you see them having intense emotions, like, sure, but I don't care much about it. And it's not, it's not, it's not even that I don't care about the story. It's just that I want to mm-hmm. care more on a deeper yeah. level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there, yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's the film, one of the film's main problem or limit, at least. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> the film is just fine. Um, are do you have any like memorable scenes from the film that you want to mention? Or oh well, mm, 
as you say, it, it doesn't have many great moments. Uh, I think some of the, okay, the ending is uh, very good, but I don't want to spoil it. Um, I think there are several scenes uh, uh, set um, during the, the chess game uh, that are effective uh, on a tense level, on a suspense level. Uh, a couple of scenes, especially uh, when they uh, they have this clash about uh, something, something that uh, breaks down their concentration. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're not great cinematic moments. They're very good moments in the film, but that's that. Uh, they, you don't have uh, any scene that's gonna become part of cinematic history. Yeah. Um, yeah, the film doesn't have a lot of big moments and it's fine. Um, so I do have a very few memorable moments. Uh, I really, I really think it was really interesting when, um, when suddenly Lipskin demands an apology mm-hmm. and then yeah. suddenly Pavius is like acquiesces to this demand for apology so that he could win without him, um, not, not quitting or like, yeah, something like that. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it's like oh, okay, now things are being serious. Mm-hmm. And when the concentration thing, you know, when the, uh, Pavius thinks uh, he's being controlled, yeah. that's another moment when I think it could have mined so. something there because it's it talks about his trauma, his fears of the Soviet retaliation. Mm-hmm doesn't really dig deep and then mm-hmm. suddenly the film goes into another direction when they bring a man obviously yeah, trying to strange. hypnotize it's strange yeah it's like missed opportunity there um mm-hmm. uh, one of the more probably more gripping moments is when the cardiologist tries to run and goes to the police i think it's one of those like few like Oh, okay. It's uh, now you understand, like oh, the 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 danger. Okay, the the stakes of the Cold War. It's not just in a chess level. It's like it's life and death, and you see now embodied because you usually just hear it like I escaped, or like you know I fear. But now you see fear real, in on screen with a cardiologist running for his life, running to the police station asking for political asylum. You see, you see now. Those moments of tangible emotions I really craved when I was watching the film. Um, the final game was also kind of good because you know it was an um, it was a deciding game and uh, you know it wasn't the it wasn't the result that I was expecting. But you know I think you know it goes into another directions also in the end. And the final game I I know you don't want to spoil it. Um, <laughs> I, I usually spoil things in here, but oh. since this film is <laughs> Not really that well known, so I would also not not spoil. Um, a chess game in the hospital. I'm gonna okay. put it that way. Let's a chess see. game in the Let's... hospital, okay. which could have been more emotionally effective. Yeah. If the preceding film was more emotionally deeper. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add to Dangerous Moves? Oh, no, I'm, I think uh, it's uh, it's more interesting from a um, cultural and historical point of view. 
than from a cinematic view. Uh, I mean, it's a sort of um, time capsule of yeah, yeah. Uh, that decade. The, um, yeah, uh, you had several suggestions from uh, the, the spirit of... Um, um, it was a moment in time when uh, they knew that Cold War was going to end, when... Uh, Soviet Union was sh showing the the first uh, uh, yeah the, the first clues of its uh, downfall of its downfall um, and you had this um, sense uh, uh, that's quite uh, typical of the Reagan era of uh, good versus evil in the in the way they um, described the, the whole Cold War. Thing and uh, and that's that. I think uh, it's more in interesting uh, in its deception of uh, uh, Cold War, as superficial and one-dimensional as it is. Um, from a cinematic point of view, it, as you said, it, it's a good film, but it doesn't have anything really great going for it. Yeah, it doesn't have the and um, it it doesn't surprise us that it's not one of the most famous or most viewed uh, Oscar winners from that category. I mean, there are several um, movies, uh, Oscar winning movies uh, in the foreign language category uh, that nowadays after 30, 40, 50 years uh, are uh, part of our cinematic culture or or are more discussed even uh, on a cinephile's uh, level, um, not this one. Yeah, I agree. I think this is um, only for Oscar completists who like want to watch yeah. winners of this category, <laughs> like us. Liv Ullman's uh, super fans. <laughs> Liv Ullman's super fans. Is there a Liv Ullman hive out there? Liv Ullman addicts? Let's do this. You can watch Dangerous Moves. I'm one moves. of them, so... Yeah. <laughs> now you're watched it. Now you watch Dangerous Moves. Chassez-cet-homme-là-vous-voyez-au-premier-rang-il-me-hypnotise-oui-c'est-cela. C'est cela, elle m'hypnotise. Qu'il s'en aille ou c'est moi qui pars. Mais le règlement est formel. Je suis là pour le faire respecter. Je regrette, mais je ne peux pas expulser un spectateur. Il faut que les deux joueurs en fassent la demande. Cet homme-là, vous aime-t-il Honnêtement, non. C'est moi. C'est moi qui l'hypnotise. Ils veulent me tuer. Tout ceci est ridicule. Allégation chimérique d'un esprit malade. Du sang froid, s'il vous plaît. All right, so let's talk about how... Uh, I forgot the film. <laughs> Dangerous <laughs> Moves won. Uh, I couldn't find when it screened in Switzerland. Of course it did. 
Uh, it premiered in West Germany in April 15, in France in April 25. In the United States, it premiered in May 24, 1985, after the Oscars, of course. Again, this was Switzerland's first win and fourth nomination. It only got a Golden Globe nomination and won the César for Best First Work. I couldn't find any box office figures, so this is the first episode. Well, I which think I uh, uh, not in the US, not but in, the US. in, uh, in France, uh, it uh, had uh, 337,000 uh, viewers. Uh, uh, not so much uh, yeah. for the French box office because the uh, numbers generally are quite higher. Yeah. I usually rely on box office mojo for domestic, for U.S. Uh, box office, but since they don't have it, this is the first season, that, uh, first season, first episode that I will stop talking about box office in this category. It's usually mattered <laughs> in the other ep episodes. Uh, now, so... I think that yeah. uh, for foreign, I don't know if you agree, uh, for foreign the foreign category international category uh, as we say right now uh, box office is not so much important each year because uh, uh, several times these movies come out uh, just during oscar season on right after they they're nominated or they win uh, the oscar or uh, so um, the the awards are like the what they need for uh, the box office it's uh, I don't know if you agree. I think before. <laughs> I think this decade, the way non-English language films in competition for the Oscar has been changed. It's yeah. as if they already play the same game that other Oscar contenders do. Like yeah. they release in the United good. States, yeah, and. Mm -hmm. They compete also in other categories, and mm -hmm. um, unlike before, when you know, if, because before, uh, an Academy member should watch all five nominees and then vote. Mm -hmm. Now everyone can vote, so it's also like also a matter of popularity at this point. Um, so if you're gonna take a look at the winners of the past decade, all of them screened in festivals, all of them had a U.S. run. Before the they Oscars. need uh, yeah. a bigger prestige uh, aura to yeah. um, uh, it's to already get into part the of building the buzz. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it was also a time without the internet in the eighties, so yeah. <laughs> it was like probably okay. These are your five nominees, and then uh, do your duty if you want and vote for one of them. <laughs> and, yeah, and I think before I don't know if this can be confirmed, but I think before sometimes not releasing it for Oscar mm -hmm. eligibility is yeah, deliberate that's what, uh, because they're waiting for the nomination mm -hmm. to be on yeah. air and if it wins and then you know they release it yeah they need the nomination to um, to be released and to have the good numbers of the American box office international yeah. box office because uh, uh, while right now it's uh, uh, it's quite reversal I mean it's um, it's more important as you said uh, to um, to be in the competition earlier, to build buzz, and yeah. etc. So aside from dangerous moves being about the Cold War, well, uh, do you is there anything? Is there any other reason why do you think this won? Uh, I think because uh, it was accessible, as I said. Uh, it's um, a story that's easy to follow. 
for an international audience. It doesn't require explanation. It's not divisive. Um, it's a sum of factors, and the main factor being that uh, the competition was not quite strong that year in the foreign language category. All right, so now let's go to the competition. The nominees were Beyond the Walls from Israel, Camila from Argentina, Double Feature from Spain, and Wartime Romance from Soviet Union. I, uh, I spoke to you a while ago that this is the fastest that I prepared for an episode. I watched all five nominees plus one submission in one day. It's actually an exciting thing. It kind of feel like an academy member, like oh, screenings, screenings <laughs> everywhere. But... I think it's more like a a juror member from a festival or a journalist from a <laughs> big festival. That also makes sense. I, yeah. I'm afraid academy members are quite lazy when it comes to to watch uh, a lot of movies. <laughs> I've actually heard opposing reports. I mm. talked to one director whose film was not was submitted. To the Academy Awards, and um, uh, that that person said that well, right? The Academy the films are grouped, and then you have to watch like eighty percent of the group to get to vote. And they said that you know what, Academy members who volunteer or sign up actually do their thing. Well, that's in the two thousand ends in the commission of. Uh, the, do are you talking about the commission of the foreign language category? No, 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 I mean, the Academy members will oh, no. sign up for the first round of voting. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was talking about the, the, the Academy members as the whole, uh, the whole uh, group of, uh, the whole yes. body of voters, not the it's single commission. Yeah, yeah, it's different. I think in the nominations, in, in the nomination step, it's kind of, mm -hmm. it's not perfect, but I think they're trying to do better, yeah, they, especially they, this they, decade. Yeah, several yeah. progress. And yeah. uh, some of the nominees are exciting, so that's progress. Yeah, uh, yeah. M many times the nominations are more satisfying than the actual winners. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's another but problem. Anyway, <laughs> again, this episode is already special in my heart because this episode I only had twelve hours to prepare, and so <laughs> exciting. All okay. right. Can um, I ask you? Yeah. Uh, which can I ask you? Which one from the nominees, uh, including the winner, was your favorite? I won't say it until later. In oh. the end. Oh, okay. So I'm saving it for later. Okay. <laughs> All I right. Won't say yeah. It either. <laughs> so, I want you to choose which film do you want to discuss first. Okay, we can uh, go in alphabetical order. Okay, so Beyond okay. the Walls from Israel, it premiered in Venice. It's about... Uh, not in competition, I think. It was not in competition, not, it's not in a, a yeah. sidebar. Um, mm -hmm. it, I, I really had to copy IMDb because it's it's a it's an intricate plot. It's about... Uh, I've got when, the Wikipedia opened. In, uh, yeah. Oh no, <laughs> our sources are revealed. Um, when the Arabs are framed for the murder of a Jewish prisoner and a young inmate come. This is in the second half of the film already, but it's about um, Arab and Jewish prisoners who don't get along inside a, um, a prison. The prison? Run mm -hmm. by um, 
an authoritative author- authoritarian of a security personnel and then suddenly there is this um, prisoner who joins in a live TV competition and suddenly like the prisoners feel united or like you know they kind of feel communal and then another and then a Jewish prisoner is murdered inside and you know people are a Jew- another person is being forced to lie about what happened so an Arab and a Jewish prisoner forms this partnership to lead a strike inside mm-hmm. the prison. Uh, what do you think of Beyond the Walls? Okay, I think... Uh, do you want any comment about the film quality or something more... Uh... Anything about Beyond the <laughs> okay. Walls. Okay, I think it's uh, a good prison drama. Mm-hmm. A typical prison drama. I didn't find anything quite spectacular or special, or really peculiar, uh, talking about this genre. And um, I, th- I think maybe its main problem it, it's that it suffers comparison to other uh, films of similar kind, like, well, obviously, uh, Jacques Diard's uh, um, A Prophet. If you if you watch a movie like A Prophet, uh, you see the difference uh, with um, Beyond the Walls, was maybe more generic, maybe, I don't know. Uh, the problem is that as a cinephile, we've seen a lot of prison drama, uh, prison dramas uh, that are quite similar to this one. And sometimes they're better than this one. Um, it's good filmmaking. I haven't found anything really, really uh, special and unforgettable about this film. I don't know if you agree with me. It's good, but not great. Yeah, uh, let's put it this way. Um, Beyond the Walls, I think, is quite uneven. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, it's there... not gripping. Yeah. It's not uh, emotionally involving. As, yeah. um, one I think there two. are parts where... Uh, it's almost as if it's not sure of what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there are moments when it's actually very good and it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of confused me. Um, I am quite intrigued by the relationship of the pe- of the characters, especially that one cell where the main characters are. It's again, Problem with dangerous moves. Problem here, they are not so deeply explored, but it is intriguing enough to give you, give me engagement in the sense that when they're fighting, it's tense. When they're together, it makes me happy as well. So I think in an engage in an emotional engagement, it works. But at the same time, there are some quite a, uh, a number of parts of the film where it just doesn't feel complete yeah and uh, it doesn't i think there's a, there's a great film somewhere in this mm-hmm. story yeah but yeah but not here <laughs> not here <laughs> yeah. sometimes it felt flat it felt flat i think uh, too um it has its good moments, very good moments, but also uh, it's not that involving, uh, it's not that special as a film. Yeah, and I think there, I, I think, uh, I think, I think, I think, that. <laughs> I think there are moments in the film when 
I feel uncomfortable because I know this is probably not the best version of the story. I think visually there it could have been much better visually. Um, I'm not so sure if I wanted more brutality as well. Um, I will say, I think the political tension here is more felt than in Dangerous Moves. Yeah, but it, it's also a, a movie that it's more involved in the political uh, dimension, yes. the political aspects. Uh, yeah. Hmm. So, so it was probably a sort of default uh, nominee, like, okay, they're talking about uh, uh, political stuff that's quite important. It, it had uh, political yeah. issues to be taken seriously by the Academy. Uh, that's, yeah. I think, the reason why it was nominated. It's a very mixed bag, for sure, but um, I'm, I'm kind of happy, I'm kind of happy I saw it, uh, because it is an interesting exploration of the the, the the politics in that area at the time because mm-hmm. I think now we really see a lot of films also delving in the Israeli-Palestinian politics mm-hmm. and all of the Middle, Middle East problems but with this one I kind of see like probably like some of the baby steps in mm-hmm. handling yeah. this issue cinematically speaking and uh, great highlights but some moments are kind of amateurish, if I'm going to be honest. That is Beyond the Walls. So next film is Camila from Argentina. It screened in Carlo Vivari, where it won Best Actress. It is based on a true person named Camila. I'm just going to search... Uh, the name the, the person's profile but it is about um a religious uh, woman young woman who falls in love with a new priest in the town i could not blame her and then um suddenly they start this uh, affair and they elope but then because her father is governor right governor yeah a governor, uh, a big political man. Big, I don't yeah. remember the. A politician, but... yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he then puts out a decree to haunt those two, the priest and his daughter, and to execute them. So yeah, it's oh, based you on. A... The ending. No, it's based on a true person. So... Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, it's based on anyway. uh, a true person who was indeed executed mm-hmm. in 1848. Yeah. And um, she was executed. Oops, that's not something I would say. All right, so Camilla, this is the last one you saw. You messaged me after you watched it. And I think you messaged me while I was watching Camilla. Oh, because okay. <laughs> uh, I'm I feel the bass. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, you no, you messaged me. No, I was already in a different film because Camille is the first film I saw. Oh, so, okay. oh, so oh, it what was do you my think last of, one. Yeah, what do you think of Camilla? Okay, I think uh, well, uh, oh, oh, well, let me. How can I say it? Okay, I don't get it. The Oscar nominee, um, in my opinion, it's the weakest uh, title of the bunch. I don't know if you agree. 
Um, it's quite a, a weak film. Um, it's, it would be uh, some sort of melodrama and it has this uh, soap opera uh, style, this soap opera uh, feel, feeling. I don't know if, uh, if, you, uh, if you received the film uh, this way, uh, but I didn't feel the, the power of a, a big melodrama. I didn't feel the, uh, the authenticity of the emotions from the characters. Uh, um, I didn't get the, the political and social context aside from a, a very generic, uh, okay, he's a priest, so you shouldn't be, you shouldn't fall in love with him and uh, vice versa. Uh, the, the two main roles are quite, uh, um, they are not deep as a character. Um, it's, it's quite generic. I mean, you can see, stories of forbidden love that are quite similar in a lot of other movies, TV series, or something like that. And a lot of them are way, way better than Camilla. Uh, I don't know if you, uh, what do you think about this movie? Uh, all right, first 15 minutes of the film. I saw three beautiful men and I'm like, all right, this is going to be a good film. Um, anyway, the Camilla, I think it worked better for me than it did to you. I think it's one of the more smooth rides of this, um, lineup. I don't think it dug deep also because again, a film with a heavy political context and sociopolitical context because politics and religion in a specific time. Um, I was surprised to find out that it was uh, a, based on a true story because I also didn't feel much of the heft of the subject matter. Um, the acting of the two leads are, again, serviceable. Um <clears throat> It, yeah, I, I, I didn't draw the the uh, the similarities of the, the sub opera, uh, to melodrama to this, um, um, but you know, I don't know. Uh, I felt that um, uh, I don't know how to that lavish uh, background that the golden light, uh, um, stuff like that there was nothing that's really passionate, that's really authentic, uh, it's more uh, stylized. Um, I don't know if, uh, if you agree, um, but not stylized um, a la Douglas Sirk, uh, stylized for a general wide audience. Um, I don't know if I've been clear enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the film, there's a glow, right? Mm -hmm. There's a glow. The film is kind of have a glowing visual quality, like literally glowing. Um, yeah. Again, some interesting things here and there. Mm -hmm. um, ah, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I also feel like there's a greater film somewhere in this story. Mm -hmm. Could it could have um, went deeper with 
uh, you know, what what is it really with Ladislao that made uh, Camila go against mm-hmm. her? Uh, yeah, but, she, mm, but she's already like a rebel. That's also the problem. Right. Um, you know, have you seen François Truffaut, Adèle H? Um, it's also a story of your... Okay, it's uh, great. Uh, it was not nominated in the foreign uh, film language category, but it's foreign language film category, sorry, but it was nominated for Best Actress, obviously. And it's also the story of, uh, of a young woman um, deep in her obses- obsession with love. And uh, it's a sort of forbidden love because it's uh, not. Uh, uh... And anyway. You feel uh, the passion, the desperation of this character. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Isabella Gianni's film. Uh, you feel, you feel um, the, the tension, you feel the involvement in, in this story. And with Camila, I think it doesn't happen in almost any way. Uh, it's so generic, even the love story. Uh, you don't you're not quite sure why this girl is so in love with uh, Ladislao, with uh, this priest, um, apart from um, a physical attraction of some sort. Uh, you, you can get the chemistry between the, the two characters. So I don't know, it, it didn't work uh, so much to me, for me. I mean, I get, <laughs> I mean, I get. no. Uh, yeah. I guess there is uh, a layer to it that, um, again, we should, I think, I, I should be judging films like what it is and what could have been. But uh, when I watch it, it's like dangerous moves. You know, it was fine in the moment and I wasn't really bothered. And I, I knew the acting could have been better. Um, That's Camila. <laughs> I don't have anything else to add. Um, yeah, eh, I think obviously in in our discussion, it worked more for me than it did for you. But again, it's like it's fine. Yeah, it, it doesn't have anything special, anything that really uh, hits you. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, there isn't any surprise in the movie. Yeah. Uh, there isn't any uh, single moment of real obsession of real desire uh it's a very generic love story but not because of the story itself uh, because of the way is set is narrated yeah uh, in my opinion uh, because mm, one of the things one of the problems sometimes with the even with the academy is that love stories and melodramas uh, are seen as lesser generous um they often they don't have a strong political social issues so uh, they are overlooked okay uh, it often happens sadly and uh, you can find there are several love stories when you find the uh, the deepness of the character's emotions uh, uh, of the character's struggles and not this time, okay, you know, uh, he's a priest, so their love is illicit, uh, you see at the beginning that mm, he's trying to, to resist to her and uh, blah, 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 but uh, okay, you you see the, the first part of the movie and you know exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and 
what they are gonna do. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I didn't feel any conflict, any strong emotion from this film. Yeah, I'm just looking at the film poster and it suggests something <laughs> very sexual. Yeah, it's like, uh, okay, let's try to sell it as a sort of almost pornographic. Uh, I really wish it went there. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't go there. It's not, uh, it's not Almodovar. It's, uh, it's not really passionate. Okay, it's, yeah. uh, it has this sex scene that is quite uh, generic, quite... Uh, I want, yeah, I wanted to understand the desire because, okay, they're beautiful people, but I, I, I want to know why go out of their way and go against all odds and do this together. I want to understand desire. I want to understand internal conflict because she's going to go against uh, her family. I want to, against uh, everyone, the country, the church. Yeah. I wanted to understand desire and um killing it versus giving into it um more um i wanted to understand desire lost passion um and why this man why this priest i i i also like that you know the clash of like having sexual desire on a religious person mm -hmm. there's some interesting But things it's going not there. developed yeah never developed yeah so it's a missed opportunity in my opinion yeah. and uh, uh, quite an undeserving nomination yeah um, I'm not gonna go there <laughs> uh, with but also I think with the depiction of it, of their final fate I think there's also something yeah. more mm. there I mean historically speaking uh, the real life Camilla was uh, famous because She was allegedly eight months pregnant when she faced the firing squad. Um, I think that pregnancy drama is kind of rushed as well. That pregnant that pregnancy subplot, and my big I think my biggest takeaway in the film is that I saw three beautiful men. That, that's pretty yeah, much my takeaway. Not enough for an Oscar nomination. I mean. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're good. So, uh, going from passionate uh, lovers to, I don't know, people who are losing passion in their life, double yeah, feature yeah. from Spain. So, it is about a screenwriter and a director who is going to make a film. One is a director who is having problems with his children and the other one is a writer who is having problems with his wife. Wow. Uh, oh, 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 just a quick to mention this is directed by Jose Luis Garti. This is his second nomination from And this he won decade. For his first uh, uh, yeah. nominee. He won yeah. for 1982, Volver a Empedar. Watch out for that episode. Uh, he was nominated here and he was also nominated for 1987 for Course Completed. Um, And in 1998 you, yeah. for El Abuelo. El Abuelo. And I, I read he's the most nominated Spanish director of all time in this category uh, because uh, four of his films uh, have been nominated and it's one more than Almodovar actually. So he, he's the like the Federico Fellini of Spain. <laughs> That's 
a reach. But I want to hear your thoughts on double feature because you've already seen Volvera and Pedar. So you yeah, already have a I comparison. I haven't seen it mm -hmm. yet, but I've seen Course Completed. What do you think of double feature? Or in its Spanish title, Sesión Continua. Okay, your Spanish is amazing. Wow. Muchas gracias. Uh, I... <laughs> I was gonna pronounce it uh, session continua. I don't know if it's, uh, it's good enough. Okay. Anyway, double feature. Uh, uh, can I say it now? Is my favorite probably from these uh, five nominees. Wow. It's the one I liked uh, uh, more, much more than the other. Uh, probably because, uh, okay, it's a, a film for cinephiles uh, from the beginning, from the, uh, the first uh, credits, um, because it, it's about movies, obviously, uh, but also for this nostalgic, bittersweet tone that uh, it uses. And it's uh, sentimental, but also ironic uh, and... Uh, um, it has several different kind of emotions through it, but uh, they are never uh, imposed to the viewers. Uh, they are quite uh, fluid. And uh, I, this film remembered me, to me of, uh, uh, for several things, uh, uh, it remembered me of uh, films like uh, uh, Otto e Mezzo, or Day for Night, Lango America and Batrufo, uh, other movies uh, about cinema, about movie making, uh, about the, uh, the daily life of people who work in, uh, in the film business uh, and they have uh, personal issues and creative problems and crises and uh, simple moments of friendship, love and uh, pain and uh, joy and this film is probably the less traditional in talking about its storytelling because it, it's very episodic um, you you know they are working on a new project but the film is made of several different moments uh, in this creative process and uh, um, so it's not trying to uh, sell you a narrative that it's uh, rigidly constructed, but it's uh, uh, more free in its uh, in its structure, mm. and you can feel, I think, more the the characters, their interactions, uh, their uh, state of minds. Uh, I found it so uh, such a, um, a joyful view, uh, a joyful vision. Uh, it also has its moment when it's more painful, more uh, uh, bittersweet. Uh, I don't know, what what you say about it? I am happy that you enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, so you didn't? I will say I enjoyed it more than Course Completed and The Grandfather. Mm -hmm. Three films into Jose Luis Garthi's films, a filmography, I still don't get him, which is weird because I see myself as the kind of writer or filmmaker that would make these kinds of films, like people just talking. I don't know. There's something... There is something... Uh, just a sec. There is something not natural or just not connecting with me 
which is um, not to say that the the, the writing is uh, pretentious. Well, sometimes it is, especially in Course Completed. I do think it is an honest observation of the writer. In this case, uh, I think it's uh, Jose Luis Garfi both writing and directing. And I appreciate this kind, this kind of directing, you know, when the, the director just trusts people inside a room have conversations mm-hmm. about life. I mean, that's yeah. that's usually how life unfolds, you know, not really in the big boom, boom, boom moments, but really yeah, in the, like, right. what are we talking about? And with this one, it makes sense. The director and the screenwriter talking, it makes sense. But I don't know. I, I'm just not connect. I did not connect at all with his observations in life. I will say, um, and I also don't think the filmmaking is matching the depth. I I I think I think this is, is I mean I'm 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 weirdly excited to see Volvera and Bedar because that's where he won. Um with the deep ruminations on life that he has, I don't think uh this simple simplistic filmmaking matches its potential. But um. I will say I think the most effective part of this film is Encarna Paso as Pili, the wife. When I see her and her storyline, I feel some things. I feel true emotions. Like, I know that there is a, co- a problem in their relationship. I, I, I feel the stakes of yeah. the story. But other than that, I don't know. I, I'm not connecting. And I don't... I, I'm not sure uh. if it's just a... I, I think th- this could be a problem with uh, uh, each film that, as you said, it, it's about people talking, people confronting themselves uh, and without many things happening. Uh, the, um, the success the, um, of the film depends a lot on how much uh, uh, a single viewer can connect to the characters um, because there's not a, a strong narrative, a strong, uh, um, a strong drama. Uh, so the whole film is based upon how much uh, you you care about the characters, you uh, you feel yourself involved with their their, their discussions, uh, their problems, uh, and their reflections about life uh, and work, uh, etc. Yeah, I I felt a, a sympathetic connection to these characters, but I can get that not everyone uh, would feel the same. Yeah, I, I'm starting to feel that this is probably Garci's style as a filmmaker. And mm-hmm. I'm not averse to people talking. I love the Before series, I'm just saying, that I don't know, there, there's something to dig... De- I, I mean, the, the, uh, the, we've talked about dangerous moves beyond the walls, Camilla, not digging deep enough. I think this have actually dug deep into some serious thoughts about, uh, you know, filmmaking and professional life and storytelling. And, you know, what is the life of a storyteller outside of the storytelling? Yeah. But, I don't know. I'm just... Well, I won't say it's necessarily a great movie, uh Probably it's not, uh, but I think it's beautiful. It works, at least it worked. It worked for me, and 
in such a weak year in the this Oscar category, uh, I think had I been an Academy member, it would have got my vote. And that wouldn't surprise me because they already did with Volvera and Bedard. Uh, yeah. But uh, I'm not ah, sure if uh, mm, 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 I had to check uh, <laughs> for which movie I would have voted and uh, voted in uh, 1982. So I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think you know with Carlos, uh, Carlos, uh, Jose Luis Garci coming back eight uh, four times. I think the Academy just clicked with his kind of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I did not. And, uh, but it's not bad. It's not bad. I also don't think it's lazy filmmaking. I think it's deliberate. That the simplicity, I mean, he wants us to stick with these characters and focus on their conversations. <laughs> and maybe for other people, maybe for you as well, maybe it's it's profound when you see these people have their conversations. Uh, I don't want to say masturbatory, but it kind of feels self-indulgent at times. But I also <laughs> see... Someone actually thinking of life and not just spewing random thoughts about life. Oh. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just not for me. Mm-hmm. But I respect it. I respect the filmmaking. I'm not against these kinds of filmmakers coming in, uh, going into Oscar consideration. I'm not against any kind of filmmaker who wants to do films this way. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> uh, no, no, but it's. Uh, I think it's uh, a movie that would work on different levels uh, based upon which viewer uh, is is gonna watch it because uh, it's all it's all about the the connection that yeah. you can make with these characters and this uh, this context. And I applaud the kind of filmmaking. You know, when they just trust building connections with. Mm-hmm. audience you yeah, know whether uh, whether they built it with me or not and um, speaking of connections the last film that we're gonna talk about is wartime romance from Soviet Union it premiered in Berlin where it won best actress it's about a soldier who uh, takes interest on a woman during the war but then that woman is well, soldier right uh, is involved with a major or a um, captain i don't know uh i forgot uh because the subtitles are bad but then uh years later he sees the woman now selling bread on the streets Mm -hmm. and he's still in love with her but now he is more of like wanting to help her in her life wartime romance what do you think of wartime romance okay um i liked it um more on uh, an intellectual level than on uh, an emotional level and that's strange because it's a love story of some sort Uh, it's uh, a peculiar movie because it's not quite your traditional movie it has um, almost surreal parentheses it has a, a narrative that it's not quite uh, traditional. Um, I found it a little demanding um, as a viewer. I don't know if um, what you felt about it. I thought it was an easy watch. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, th- in a, um, I think it's one of those films where 
it's sure of what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, surely. And um, it takes on a, it takes on this version of love that is complicated, more complicated than usual. Mm-hmm. You see a man. Well, later in the film, we will know that he has some responsibilities, existing responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But uh, here is a man who is almost like worshiping this woman mm-hmm. but then doesn't re- is hiding it and then there's this woman who because of her lot in life i mean is she really taking interest in the man is she just taking advantage to get a better life or is it both uh mm-hmm. and yeah i yeah. i like it's ambiguity but i yeah. think it also could be um i mean um an obstacle to our emotional involvement to characters because sometimes uh, their motivations are not completely clear and i don't know uh, i think i had with this film which i, I liked uh, the same problem that you had with double session with the um, yeah, double feature sorry uh, session continua uh, i didn't feel, feel this strong connection to the characters and their uh, dramas, their uh, relationship. I actually think this is a case where the ambiguity makes sense. That's why I'm more engaged in the film. I know I'm already so excited to like hear our rankings because I think we don't match at all. But, um, oh. <laughs> but watching... I suppose this is your favorite. Ah, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not. I'm gonna save it all for later. Oh. Okay. So you want my ranking? <laughs> No. No, 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 no. We're gonna do it later. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, with Wartime Rome, and this also this um when another woman comes in. I'm not gonna say, or should I say it already? No, I'm not gonna say. There's another woman that comes in, which makes it more complicated, and then. Uh, the two women also have this bond, which makes it even more complicated. I love how messy the relationship dynamics are. And um, it's an ending that stuck with me. Now it's not a very memorable ending, but I think it's a it it ended. It's evocative. It's uh... yeah, <laughs> and it has strong moments. Um, yeah, that's wartime romance. Um, in general, how do you feel about this lineup? Oh well, uh, I don't think uh, no that compared. No, no, no ranking. Uh, I don't think that if we compare this lineup to other lineups uh, from the, the same decade, um, this one really stands out, uh, especially because uh, there isn't a single movie that is going to enter in cinema history. Uh, I don't think that um, these movies... Uh, uh, as a whole, uh, are that strong if we compare them to other nominees from other years. Um, I personally think the only real weak uh, uh, spot is uh, Camila. But uh, if I ran, if I randomly choose uh, another year from the same decade, I think I can find at least one movie probably that's. That, that I think it's better than this whole five titles. 
it's also, I think, uh, an interesting uh, bunch of movies because uh, they are quite different from one another. We have uh, uh, two European movies, uh, one from Israel, one from South America, and a Soviet uh, nominee, which was not so frequent. Um, and they also uh, belong to very different genres. And uh, we have the, the typical love story. We have the uh, strange and peculiar and ambiguous love story, which is uh, wartime romance. Uh, we have a, a dramedy. Um, we have the green drama, prison drama. Uh, we have this uh, the winner, which, which is a, a more traditional drama. So uh, you have uh, several things, several genres. Uh, um, that's what probably makes uh, this category quite interesting. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with what you said that I think on paper it's just an exciting lineup because of the differences in backgrounds and the mm -hmm. stories. But I've never felt this in quite a while in, in this podcast, but I think there's no one stand outcome from the lineup. Yeah. It feels like Something a flat year. Nothing's mm -hmm. really bad bad. But also, nothing's really great. Yeah, nothing's really great. Yeah, uh, I suppose if you have a year with Amadeus as the big winner, you can have a, a weak spot somewhere else. So <laughs> everything else is flat. <laughs> yeah. Which um, excites me to go to one submission from this year. But that's our take for this lineup. I'm just gonna mention one film that's also nominated for an Oscar, uh, Marlene. From West Germany, it won Best Documentary in New York Film Critics, National Society Film Critics, Boston Film Critics, and directed by Oscar winner Maximilian Schell. And was nominated for Best Documentary Feature. It's about Marlena Dietrich. Um, going to the submissions, there were 32, su <laughs> 32 submissions. First timer is Thailand. Um, this is exciting because both of our countries had submissions. Hey, it's rare that I have. But Italy always have submissions. Always. We, we always have submissions. <laughs> so, um, for Italy, do you want to introduce your submission, or should I do it? Uh, you should do it because it's uh, it's the one from Nanni Loi, right? Yes. Uh, uh, I remember one. Okay. Where uh, Picone, Picone. Uh, Picone. Where's Picone? Uh, from Italy. Ah, I'm, I'm gonna tell you the Italian title, uh, which is quite similar, I think. Um, okay. Uh, I haven't seen this one, as I told you before. Um, Mi manda picone. Okay. Mi manda picone. This is the Mi manda picone. Um, picone send me. It's the, the translation, the English translation. Uh, it's a comedy with Giancarlo Giannini. I don't know if you if you know him. I met Giancarlo him Giannini. Okay. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's an Oscar nominee. Yeah. Yes! For Seven Beauties, which we will discuss yeah. next season. Um, yeah, so a summary in IMDb says, During a debate in Naples Town Hall in the early 80s, Pasquale Picone, a picone, picone. <laughs> a former steel yeah. work, worker who has recently lost his job, sets himself on fire in front of the municipal council. All right, so you were telling me a while ago before we started recording, like, um, the state 
of Italian cinema in the 80s. Um, what is happening yeah. in Italian cinemas in the 80s? In the 80s, well, I was barely born at the time, so it's uh, more historical research. But, uh, well, uh, Italian cinema had its peak in the 60s, in the 70s also. Uh, there were a lot of great movies from great authors. Uh, and in the 80s, uh, I think uh, there was uh, probably a, I'm not going to say a decline because uh, it's uh, too strong a word and there are a lot of great movies uh, that came out from Italy in that decade but probably it suffers in comparison with the um, with other decades like the, the 50s the 60s and the 70s and uh, if you watch the list of um, Italian submissions for the Oscar or Italian entries in the big festival uh, festivals, uh, you don't see so many great titles uh, as you can see if you think about Italian movies uh, from the 60s and the 70s. Uh, uh, several big directors uh, were unfortunately dead in the 80s or they were getting old. Um, they were, uh, I don't know, uh, it, it's it's a decade when we have uh, a lot of great movies, but probably not as much and not as revolutionary as the the ones uh, from uh, uh, past decades. That is so interesting that you mentioned that because, and on the other hand, mm, my country is in a peak <laughs> in the 70s and in the 80s. Um, that was a time of martial law, of political unrest, but um, I think a lot of filmmakers, brave filmmakers who dared um, push the boundaries of cinematic medium to bypass censorship, basically, has created some of the best films. And also to quick mention that this is the first year that I'm going to mention, I'm going to go deep probably a bit, deep a bit, <laughs> and the Filipino films that were released in this time period because we really made our best films in this time period. And this is a fortunate year because we submitted. We rarely submitted this time period, which is like frustrating on an Oscar perspective. It was like, um, I can think of films to beat the Oscar winners. But um, <laughs> yeah, but I I'm glad that some of the films are now readily available. They've been restored uh, and now available widely worldwide. And one of them was actually submitted this year. Uh, the title is Off the Flesh in the Philippines. It premiered in London Film Fest. It, it screened in London Film Festival. It is about, it's set in the 1930s. There is an unnamed narrator who tells the story of um, a husband and wife who come, a husband and wife who comes back to the hometown of the man. And then he comes back to his uh, authoritarian father. And uh, he, the father sees that his son's newlywed wife looks exactly like his deceased wife. So things happen. And, um, and his whole town is... Uh, anyway... It's it's now it it's made by uh, Marilu Diaz Abaya. It is the last part of the, the, her feminist trilogy, three great films. Um, 
I haven't seen it yet. Yes. But it sounds quite more interesting than Dangerous Moves or especially Camila. (laughs) This is is what I want to say. I'm Uh, going to watch it as soon as possible. Yeah, it's available (laughs) on iTunes and on demand. So to our listeners all over the world, it's... It's for it's it's in a cheap price. You can watch this film classic. I mean, please, please, please. But um, when I watched this film, that's why I was um, I felt such a strong desire to watch this film because I already I just intended to watch. <laughs> I was speaking so fast. Um, I was I was only intending to watch the five nominees, and then watching the films, I felt this strong desire to watch our own submission because I don't want to be biased. I don't want to sound biased, but here it goes. Our submission is way better than the five <laughs> films nominated. I trust uh, you. <laughs> way better. I'm so but proud. Yeah. You have to remember that an Oscar win doesn't necessarily mean that the the film, the Oscar winning film, is uh, the better one. Uh, exactly. The best, uh, of the bunch. Exactly. That's that's what. That's what is necessary, I think, for us in Oscar talk is that you know, when, mm-hmm. you know, it's fun to talk about the Oscars, you know, because because it's not perfect. It's fun to talk about the Oscars. Because it's not perfect, but um, it's important. It's important to remember that you know when people get so obsessed, like it should have won, it should have won, it should have won. Like yeah. a film's worth isn't really defined by a win. Um, yeah, I agree. But just on a, I don't know. I'm excited for you to watch it because mm-hmm. um, it's available, and mm, I mean, I just, I, I mean, because I saw it before on home video on a not restored format, and I loved it, and I saw it in restored. I actually saw the restored version um, in our cinema in the university. The screenwriter was there, the lead actress was there. The lead actress kind of cried, Cecil Castillo, because she said, she said. Um, this is the first time I saw the film again on a big screen and it is restored. And it makes my heart full when I see our film classics uh, restored because film archiving in the Philippines only started in 2011. So we really lost a lot of films. A lot of classic films are now in bad shape. But this is one of the films that were restored. And I'm just so happy because now uh, ABS-CBN Film Restoration has allowed this film to be shared all over the world uh so um i can say proudly that um because we also have that we don't always submit great films but this is a year where i could say we deserve it way better than the nominees (laughs) i'm gonna check you if you've seen the film Yeah, I'm quite curious because it sounds so intriguing, and uh, I'm especially fond of exploring um, this kind of uh, uh, their movie making. uh, And uh, yeah, you sold it to me quite well. Yes, I'm excited to sell more. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I hope that uh, many people would watch uh, and uh, explore. Uh, more daring and demanding films. Hopefully, and um, <clears throat> you know, if if this is uh, what gets this film, you know, it being as Oscar submission, if this is what gets it to more people kind of finding it, 
great because yeah. I think it, that's the the best the real best part of the Oscars, uh, apart from the award itself, like a, a Golden Globe or a Golden Palm or a Golden Lion or a Golden whatever. Uh, the fact that um, sometimes, often, I hope uh, uh, it this award gives the opportunity uh, to the film to be watched by more people by future generation. And sometimes uh, the, the fact that the movie has been uh, rewarded uh, um, somewhere, the Oscars, Cannes, Venice, or whatever, um, it gives it uh, the chance to be uh, a little more famous and so to, to, be, uh, to be watched more by uh, people even uh, in 20, 30, 50 years uh, or 100 years. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's the thing with this category, and I mean, of course, in all in the Oscars in general, it's not always about the validation. I think the eyeballs that would get an Oscar nomination, an Oscar win, an Oscar submission would get um, is worth the price. But anyway, that's off the flesh. Um, Carnal in Filipino. Um, oh, I'm so proud of that. Anyway, uh, so quite a few, quite a few. 32 submissions. I'm just going to run down a few. <laughs> All right. So Memoirs of Prison from Brazil. It premiered in Cannes. It's about a poet, uh, Graciliano Ramos's period in, where he spent in prison after he was considered a subversive. Sonatine from Canada. It won Silver Lion in Venice. It's about two teenage friends who has separate difficult experiences and then they consider suicide. A Man of Principle from Colombia. It premiered in the Unsit and Regards section in Cannes. It won Best Actor in Chicago Film Festival. Uh, a review covers bloody events, civil war in 1948, Colombia. <laughs> My English was bad. Uh, the Millennial Bee from Czechoslovakia. It premiered in Venice. It's about a decade-spanning sp um, decade story that follows the life of a Slovak family at the turn of the 20th century. Tukuma from Denmark. Also premiered in Venice. It's about a Danish mountain climber who disappears in Greenland and then his brother trying to find him. Pessi and Elusia from Finland. Also in, from Venice. Premiered in Venice. Fairy tale between the fairy Elusia and the goblin Pessi. So long, Stooge from France. It's about an alcoholic who plots to avenge the murder of his friend. Man under suspicion from West Germany. It won Silver Bear in Berlin. It's about... Uh, after assaulting a minister, a young defendant claims to uh, do it by himself, but his lawyer does not believe him. Homecoming from Hong Kong. It's about a woman who goes back to her hometown to escape the toxic city life. When the Raven Flies from Iceland. It premiered in Berlin. It's about an Irish man who seeks vengeance against the Vikings who killed his parents. Against the, the Vikings? Oh, yeah. Wow. The Gist from India. It won special prize in Moscow. It's about an old couple who lends a room on rent after the recent death of their only son. MacArthur's Children from Japan. It's about the United States occupation in a rural Japanese village. It's the feature film debut of Oscar nominee Ken Watanabe. Uh, Muleya Muleya from South Korea. It premiered in the Uncertain Regards section in Cannes. It's about a woman who is married off to the deceased son of a powerful government official. What the fuck? <laughs> okay. Woo. Army Brats from Netherlands. It's a hugely successful comedy. 
It's about a peaceful family life that is suddenly disturbed when the children enter puberty. That's like every family story. <laughs> right. Dead Man's Seat from Portugal. It's about a divorced journalist who witnesses someone he doesn't know killing himself after fighting with a woman. And then he then gets involved with that woman. Probably that didn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Glissando from Romania, also premiered in Venice. It's about a man obsessed with painting, uh, with a painting of a woman that reminds him of his long lost mother. Okay. And his world from Sweden. It premiered in Moscow. It's about a six-year-old son of a doctor with a rich fantasy life in 1930s. The story of Nam Pu from Thailand, first time submit. Shun. <laughs> it's about a divorced woman with a son with drug addiction. The House of Water from Venezuela. It's about a young Venezuelan poet who gives up his um, social life and goes to an isolated fishing village to, f um, to fight against the political state of his country. And the end of the war. It's about story set at the end of World War II, a Serbian man takes his son to find and kill five members of the Croatian Ustashe Militia who tortured and killed his wife and mother. Uh, so I think I mentioned 22. I'm so sorry to the few submissions I didn't know. I couldn't find a summary. Um, Alright, so this was I read an LA Times article. So this is the first time that, one of the first times, not the first time, where um, the nomination process was questioned because of the nomination process where like one film, one country government gets to choose. Uh, what do you think of that system? Um, the fact that only one movie is submitted by one country. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, wow. Um, I think it would be, it's um, a good system to... Uh, give a chance to try to give a, a highlight to uh, countries uh, that don't that don't have a big tradition of uh, famous movies. Uh, uh, so if you can, if you can have only one one movie submitted from uh, each country, uh, you as a voter uh, can choose from uh, several countries, several cultures that sometimes are overlooked, uh, overestimated. And, uh, well, the, the con of the, of the system, I suppose, is the fact that from the same country in the same year, in the same year can uh, come out uh, more than one great, great movie. Uh, so um, sometimes there are great pictures that are uh, sacrificed uh, that are not submitted at all so uh, I don't know it's um, it's not a perfect system but it has its uh, uh, its pros yeah I don't and know if uh, it can be uh, adjusted yeah I can agree I mean it's hard because it's then hard. Yeah. I, I think then um, without the system you probably uh, could have the chance to have better nominees sometimes, uh, but you also have the risk uh, to have uh, uh, more traditional nominees each time. I mean, you 
could think of year when uh, you only have uh, Italian and French movies nominated and you don't pay any attention to, to other countries. So I think uh, it gives more, uh, more visibility to uh, a wider uh, uh, set of countries and cultures. So it's interesting from this point of view. It is. Um, I mentioned that because this year, France has quite a selection. Uh, it has four that I just mentioned here. Of course, you couldn't summarize all of world cinema. But I just mentioned four here. The first one is Carmen from France. It uh, got a Golden Gold nomination and BAFTA nomination. It's a film adaptation of the opera Carmen. A Sunday in a Country from France. One uh, of my favorites. Yeah, this it, one. yeah, it won Best Director at Cannes. It won Boston, Kansas, London, National Board of Review, and New York Film Critics for Best Foreign Language Film. Golden Globe nominee, BAFTA nominee. Uh, tell me I... a, a little bit about it. What do you think of it? Okay, it's from Bertrand Tavernier, who, who is one of the greatest French directors of the last mm, half century. And uh, I think he's probably... Mm, Tavernier's best of uh, close to the top. I I also think it uh, it would have been a very very likely nominee uh, should have been submitted uh, from France. Uh, he was uh, Oscar nominated in ninety eighty or eighty one. I remember from for Coupe de Touchon, uh, another movie, uh, sort of drama noir film uh, with. Uh, uh, Isabelle Huppert and Philippe Unare. And this one is uh, with Sabina Zema, uh, who is amazing. And it's quite uh, bittersweet. Uh, it's, uh, it's very peculiar. It's not a typical Oscar movie, uh, but it's uh, so fascin fascinating. And uh, uh, I was going to say that Carmen from France is from an Italian director. <laughs> it's from France, but it's directed by Francesco Rossi was one of the Italian greats and uh, okay you can go on with it that, that happens okay. <laughs> that happens I mean uh, we're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna talk about next week we're gonna talk about uh, Le Val directed mm -hmm. by Etta Escola but was sent by Algeria yeah, so uh, several Italian directors uh, worked uh, from for made co-productions that were submitted from Algeria, France, uh, etc. Yeah. yeah, I see here the Golden Globes. Carmen represents France, but in BAFTA mm -hmm. it represents Italy. Oh, okay, BAFTA. I think maybe I don't know. Maybe it can include more countries. So I don't, don't remember. Yeah. And then another film that you saw is Full Moon in Paris. It won Best Actress in Venice, directed by Eric Romer. Mm -hmm. Tell me mm -hmm. a little bit about the story and what did you think of the film? <laughs> okay, uh, we talked uh, uh, before about uh, the movies uh, uh, when people talk. So talk and nothing else, essentially. And, uh, well, Eric Romer is the absolute master of this genre the talk movie <laughs> the it's the master of richard linklater or other directors with this kind of style um also i don't know baumbach and uh, le nuit de la pleine lune uh, its international title is full moon in paris uh, well i i'm 
very, very fond of this film. Um, it was not my first Romero film. Uh, I had seen uh, at least another one, uh, but it's the, the movie uh, that made me fall in love with uh, Rick Romero. It's essentially the, the story of um, a young girl who loves the um, mundane life in Paris, the, uh, the parties, uh, um, and essentially that's the, the story, that's the film. It's about uh, her friendship with Fabrice Lucchini, a young Fabrice Lucchini. Uh, it's about uh, this character uh, thinking about uh, uh, her love life and uh, her view of life, uh, her, how she see how she sees herself and how people uh, see this girl. It's uh, well, it's quite fascinating. So, if you are interested in uh, Romero, you should watch it. Yeah, I haven't. I, I I'm not sure. If, I don't think I've seen any Romero yet. So, ooh, blind spots. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, one. Final French film here is Anou Amour from yeah, mm. France. Maurice Piala? Yeah, directed by. Eh? It's written in Berlin, directed by Maurice Piala. It won César for Best Film. It's about an erratic young woman's family desperately tries to prevent her increasingly erotic ways. I yeah, know. great film. Uh, it's not, I don't remember it being so. Uh, uh, so. <laughs> um, such a hardcore movie as uh, your synopsis. Uh, I remember it more like a coming of age, uh, typical French coming of age of the 80s. Uh, it's uh, a very powerful movie. Uh, I've seen it uh, a decade ago, but uh, so it was great. I think IMDb betrayed me <laughs> with this one. Um, so just no, no, quick, it's yeah. not, uh, not so, <laughs> so strong <laughs> yeah. on the sexual level, I mean. Oh, good. But I maybe I remember I don't remember it well. So yeah. Uh, another uh, things to mention: Voyage to Cythera from Greece. It won Best Screenplay in Cannes. It's about a communist who returns to Greece after decades of exile in the Soviet Union. And from Spain, the Holy Innocence. It won Best Actor at Cannes. It's about a family working as slaves in a plantation. Um, again, I said I was gonna highlight uh, Filipino films starting this year. Two films that were not selected, but were, would have been great choices as well. Uh, Sister Stella L. It's about, it's written by Mike DeLeon. It's about a nun who joins a labor strike in a factory. And then she starts to witness the crimes that were committed to the um, union members. And then Merica, uh, directed by Hill Protest star Nora Honor. It's about um, a nurse, Filipino nurse, working in the United States and then she falls in love with another Filipino who is an undoc undocumented immigrant and who is probably just in love with her so that she could get a green card. Um, ironically, the most, I think the most well-known uh, film from outside of the United States, the world, world cinema, is in English. It's from West Germany. It won Palme d'Or in Cannes. Directed by Vin oh, Vendors. about Paris, Texas. Yes, Paris, it's in Texas. English. Okay. Uh, it's, oh, right. Yeah, it's in English. Um, yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Because I haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's typical Vin Vendors. Uh, it's about uh, 
uh, okay, I'm not the biggest Wim Wenders fan, um, but this film is one of his most acclaimed uh, and of his most beloved one. Uh, it's not my favorite from Wenders, uh, but it's fascinating. It's about uh, also about America. It's about uh, uh, there's a great Reedy Stanton in this film. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, one of the milestones of uh, uh, European outdoor cinema of uh, the 80s. And not uh, not one of my uh, one of my favorites, but it's surely a very interesting film. Yeah, so just have to mention it because it's such a huge film to not mention. All right, so after everything has been said and done, I'm going to ask you a final question for this. No, not final, I think a question. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you think Dangerous Moves is a deserving winner of this category? Well, mm, not so much. I think uh, it's a, a decent winner, but mm, it in comparison to other winners from the same decade and uh, in that category I would have chosen uh, double feature yeah um, usually I would say no but because of the field of nominees I'm going to say it's decent um, this could I'm thinking of my ranking in 1985 and the top three of that year could be the top one of this year for me. Um, I just for comparison, I don't think it's as bad as Mediterraneo, <laughs> a winner from Italy. Um, I had some strong reactions to that film, but yeah, you told me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but meh. I think that's my reaction to Dangerous Moves is meh. You know, and it's not strong, but I think the field is also not strong. So mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. So now let's rank the nominees from five to one. What's your number five? My number five, I think it's quite clear it's Camila. That should have not been there. I think uh, the, the Philippine movie surely... <laughs> Would have deserved the that category more. Thank you. Uh, my number five is double feature. What's oh. your number four? Sorry. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, you give me pain. Uh, so my number four, I would say probably um, Beyond the Walls. My number four. Oh. My number four is Beyond the Walls. We had, okay. What's your number three? My number three was uh, Wartime Romance. My number three is Camilla. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's your number two so, and one? My number two is Dangerous Moves. So it's, I mean, a decent winner, as you said. And my number one is obviously, uh, as I told you, Double Feature. All right, so I would admit, in the course of our conversation, I keep flipping back and forth my number one and number two. Not because it's a strong race, but it's just like, uh, well, it's going to be my number one. My number two is Dangerous Moves. And my number one is Wartime Romance. 
But it's a very flat year. Yeah. It is. And especially now that I have rewatched the Philippine submission for this podcast exclusively. Shocks! <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, They were yeah. quite more traditional uh, in Tasties, the Academy, uh, back in the 80s. Uh, I think that in the whole decade, they were uh, quite traditional uh, in their choices. So yeah, that's, that's why, probably yeah. why... That's why I'm more excited for you to watch the submission. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so um, there you go. So Stefano, I want to say this right. Uh, grazie mille per essere venuto. Oh, wow. Gracias. No, thanks to you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. I hope to be here again yes. for a, a, a very better <laughs> yes. year, Academia. Yes. Um, so, okay, can you tell our listeners where can they find you on the internet? Uh, okay, on um, Facebook or uh, on movieplayer.it. Uh, Even on Twitter, even if I don't tweet so much. And uh, that's that. <laughs> There you go. And you can find me on Twitter at Carlos Ohana. This podcast at One Inch Barrier. Again, the third episode of the bonus episode is coming this Sunday. Woohoo! Which film would it be? Um, again, I'm wishing you all well. This is a goodbye for now. And together, let us break the One Inch Barrier.